0: the uh, our passages again mark 13 Daniel 9 First wow spell check for pj First Corinthians Cori- Hello that meant First Corinthians 15 yes okay First um, Corinthians 3 and Revelation 13 and I know I told you all that this would be the conclusion of our three-week series on the end times, but our three-week series in my study became a four-week series. So we will indeed conclude next week, but whatever questions you have based off of what we talk about today, we will have a Q&A afterward. Um, we're, not, we're not passing out anything, so just if you have like a little notepad or something like that, jot down your questions, we will answer them. Um, as best we can, and if we can't answer them, we will come back next week and answer them. All right, And that will be the grand finale, uh, is next week, Lord willing. Um, but this is just great stuff, and it's just one of those things where as you're studying it, you're like, I can't skim over this, I can't gloss over this material, cannot do it. Um, as it is, this is just a taste, what we're doing on the end times. This is not a full extensive study. Um, so that's that. That's today. So there will be a brief Q&A after we say amen. Uh, the other thing is this, is that tonight, 7 p.m., folks, listen, your sports fans, great. The football games, let's be honest, have been lame, all right? And they really they, they have been. So at 7 o'clock tonight, here's what we're going to do live online we are going to, in our Through the Bible series, we are going to go through Leviticus. And you're looking at me saying, how are we going to go through Leviticus? Well, we're going to... Uh, and, and you're going to walk away from this. I pray as excited as I've been about preparing it. Because again, what we're going to do is we're going to see Jesus in everything in Leviticus. So tune in tonight, 7 o'clock, live on Facebook or at our website, www.newlifecalvary.com. Um, that's going to be through Leviticus. If you've been one of those people said, boy, I sure hope the pastor doesn't say open up to Leviticus, uh, then I want to challenge you especially because you'll have a whole new view of this book after we study it tonight. Um, thats It's just God's Word. It's great. And uh, so that's going to be tonight at 7 o'clock. Um, the well is here at 7 p.m. and we're resuming our Bible study. Uh our Bible study this Wednesday night. Um we're gonna get away from the teacher man to fish teacher man to fish series. We're gonna actually gonna go through a Bible study based off of the Good Samaritan, based off of something in Leviticus. So that should be interesting. So look at the Good Samaritan, we're gonna use Leviticus to springboard into the story of the Good Samaritan, and that's gonna be Wednesday at seven. Our children's ministries resume. If you showed up last Wednesday and we weren't, um, sorry, we weren't here. Uh, we were getting ready for the uh, event in our neighborhood, which our neighbors loved. Um, you know, we were able to really minister, I think, to the uh, children. Our neighbors were participating in the trunk or treat. They came up to me at eight fifteen. They, said, when you said six to eight, you weren't kidding. It was like, uh, you know, at 8 o'clock, everybody disappeared. I'm like, well, we're teaching about the rapture. So, no, I, I didn't say that. No, I, I... Oh, God, and I'm still here. Um, wow, that's not good. Um, so, that, no, but it was like it was a tribute to the church. To all the hands that uh, helped put it together, uh, to the ones that helped pass out flyers, to the ones that prayed over it, and to the ones that helped clean up. I mean, it was really, really neat for the neighborhood to see that. And so, really blessed and love this church. Truly, truly. Um, I think that is all. Oh, no, it's not. What are we doing for Thanksgiving, some of you have asked. I'm glad you asked. Okay, um, here's what we're going to do. I would like every single person here to pray over and pick a family that you know could use a Thanksgiving meal um, or the fixings for it. So we're going to provide a, we're not going to cook. You don't want PJ cooking. Um, but what we are, thank you and amen, is that, <laughs> wow. Um, and so what we are going to do is pick a family and we're going to assemble the baskets together and give a, uh, a gift card for a turkey but I would like each of you to be praying about who God would put on your heart to serve uh, in this way. Okay, so that's what we're going to do our Thanksgiving outreach this year. Um, and I'm excited about that, too. I'm just an excitable person today, I guess. Okay, people are wondering why the, uh, the dress crumbled up in a ball over there. Uh, a, a friend of ours borrowed that, and you know, when they returned, they were like, Where should I put it? I said, I have this idea. That's what the rapture is going to look like when people are gone. Isn't that cool? All right, so anyway. Uh, <laughs> oh my, there's groans collectively. All right, Mark 13, please. And I know it'll seem like we've been through some of this stuff before, but let's just enjoy this, please. Uh, Mark 13. We're going to start at verse 14. So when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel, the prophet, standing where it ought not, let the reader understand, then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let him who is on the housetop not go down into the house, nor enter to take anything out of his house. And let him who is in the field not go back to get his clothes, but woe to those who are pregnant and to those who are nursing babies in those days, and pray that your flight may not be in winter. For in those days there will be tribulation such as has not been since the beginning of creation, which God created until this time nor ever shall be. And unless the Lord had shortened those days, no flesh would be saved. But for the elect's sake, whom he chose, he shortened the days. Then if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, or look, he is there, do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will rise and show signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. We've been told, while to many your coming will be as a thief in the night, to the church it should be no surprise, anxiously not only anticipating but crying for, come back quickly And so for this time that we have, that we still have here, there's still something that you want to say, something that you want to accomplish, not only through your church, but through this church, through individuals, through anyone that is in hearing. And so we pray that you would again show yourself to us. In Jesus' name, amen. So one of the most exciting, controversial, debated, deliberated on topics in the church is the second coming of Jesus Christ. For some, the very thought means relief and rescue. In other words, it's that consummate Calgon t- but do it for all eternity moment that we're crying for. For others, when we think of the Second Coming, it means freedom and forgiveness. And yet, for others, it means reward and vindication. When others think of the Second second Coming, judgment and justice. These are all words that come to mind when we think of the Second Coming. It's a topic that has intrigued, excited, inspired generations throughout history. And when we teach about it in the church, the words that typically come to mind are rapture, antichrist, tribulation, mark of the beast, armageddon, millennial reign, final judgment, new heavens and new earth, a lot of which but not all we will be discussing today. why we believe what we believe about the end matters. it matters. This was true for the disciples in Jesus' day. It was true for the church after that, and it's true for the church today. How you believe that the day ends determines how you see the world and what you do about it. Just as the beginning is important also. When you know where you came from, When you believe what Genesis 1 says, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, that gives reason. That gives purpose. It changes the way you see everything, and so it changes the way you respond to everything, but so to the end. Just as important. The Bible says of Jesus, for the joy that was set before Him, He endured the suffering. And we also talked about how in Mark 13 at the very beginning, when the disciples said, well, look at this building, it's so impressive. Jesus, because He knew the ending, said, oh, all those buildings are coming down. Yeah, they're not part of the final project. We're taking those down. Because He knows the ending. And when you know the ending, and especially when you've peaked ahead, which we can and we will do in the next couple of weeks, when you've peeked ahead and you know that you win because He wins... It changes the way that we live and the confidence with which we live and operate through the challenges of this world. Oh, remember back in Mark a few uh, verses ago, uh, it had said in Mark 13.9 that there was going to be signs and wars and rumors of wars and there was going to be disaster and diseases and these things were going to be like birth pangs. But now as we move on in our end time study, understand this, that this is not an extensive in-depth study of any one book in Revelation, but prayerfully a helpful overview that will encourage you to whet your appetite to dig in more in your personal study on the subject. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to take a look at what happens, when it happens, both according to Scripture, because if we can't argue it according to Scripture, then we shouldn't argue it at all. All right, and so what we're going to do is I'm going to give you a simple outline. If somebody could just go over to that uh, and just play the next slide, it should have like a little slide that I think will be helpful for a general overview. And it should say rapture. There it is. All right, and so first, a general overview of how uh, we interpret God's Word as to how this is going to play out. And so the first thing we talked about a little bit last week, we're going to talk a little bit more about it today. Nothing else needs to happen before this moment. This is the rapture. That's when Jesus catches up His church. All right, And what we'll see at that time, now the kids are watching uh, some scene left behind series today. We got it, and so they're watching about three different scenes. And I think that the rapture is going to be the thing that makes the kids go, Huh? What's that? All right? They're going to see, uh, the, the scene starts on an airplane where it's like half the people on the plane disappear. The men, women, and children. And the question arises, what do they have in common? What do they have in common? And so there's this thing called the rapture. Now after that, millions of people disappear in the rapture. That's the first thing. And nothing else needs to happen before that. Then we kind of have two events taking place at the same time. One is the judgment seat of Christ. And just as the slide says, that's when the believers that are raptured are judged and rewarded. That takes place in heaven. But here on earth, there's something else that happens. It's called the seven years of tribulation. And the seven years of tribulation, again, because of the chaos that ensues, because of the rapture, that's going to be the time the world is looking... What do we look for when there's a time of chaos? We look for peace. That's going to be when the Antichrist arrives on the scene, who we believe will be a Gentile, and we will explain why that is today. He will appear to be a peacekeeper, especially according to the children of Israel, in which he'll even make a covenant, and we believe he'll make that covenant by building a temple that does not exist yet in Jerusalem. But halfway through his reign, he's going to sit on the throne in that temple, claim to be God, erect a monument to himself, and stop sacrifices. That moment, when he does that, Israel is going to have one of the greatest oops moments in human history. Two witnesses will come onto the scene and there will be a revival from the children of Israel unlike this world has ever seen. But during that three and a half years, there will be, make no mistake, hell on earth. That part of the tribulation, that years is called the great tribulation. And if that were the end of the story, Uh, But that's not, because there's an event after that we'll probably get into more next week called Armageddon. And this is the second coming of Jesus Christ, where he establishes his reign on earth for a thousand years. You will have basically heaven on earth at that time for a thousand years, and Satan will be locked away. This is just the overview. We're going to dig in in a couple of minutes and we're going to say, okay, why do we believe all these things? But after a thousand years, there's going to be judgment, final judgment pronounced on Satan, his minions, and on all unbelievers. This is called the great white throne of judgment and then the arrival of new heaven and new earth. Now that we've gone there, that's the overview and we'll keep that slide up. All right, keep that slide up. Um, Last week, we discussed how the Bible discusses that uh, Jesus' return. There's an aspect of it that's imminent, but there's also uh, some scriptures that tell us that there's some things that have to happen before it happens, before the second coming. And so we differentiated between this moment called the rapture and the second coming of Jesus Christ. We differentiated between these things. The rapture, we looked at 1 Thessalonians 4.17. I'm not going to ask you for time's sake because it's, again, a scripture we looked at last week. But it reads like this. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. There's no figurative language here. This is all very literal that Paul is writing. Then we who are alive, this is first Thessalonians four seventeen, when we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. That's when he swoops in, catches his church up, and delivers us from the hell that is coming. And it says, and thus we shall be with the Lord. Now, what is the other verse? You might want to jot this down. You may want to turn to it. It's 1 Corinthians 15. You can really listen to it. This is the Apostle Paul. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trump. For the trumpet shall sound and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible, the corruptible must be put on; in, must put on incorruption, and this mortal body must put on mortality. So, those are the two main scriptures that we look at: First Thessalonians four seventeen and 1 Corinthians fifteen fifteen that tell about rapture. So, what do our bodies look like at this moment? Its bodies will be bodies patterned. resurrected Christ, suitable for being in His presence. There's a lot more that we don't know. But it will be a body patterned after the resurrected Christ. Here's what we do know. Once we get raptured and we're in the presence of Jesus, we're not going to look at whatever kind of a body we're in and we're going to stinks. at it. We're not going to do that. Alright, we're not going to get there and say, oh, this this isn't as good as I thought it would be. You know, I I kind of planned on something else. We're not going to do that. So through these scriptures that tell us about the rapture, it makes sense to us, not only because we see it in scripture, but also because, well, in the Bible it's warned that His coming is going to be like a thief in the night. Again, not for you. You expect it because you just read about it. But for the non-believer, it's going to be coming like a thief in the night. The other reason is we see God protecting His children from judgment. You that have already repented of your sins, this is as bad as it gets for you. We said it last week that for the believer, earth will be the only hell you ever know. And for the non-believer, earth will be the only heaven they will ever experience. But once that happens, this is really important. Once that happens, this moment called the rapture occurs. Well, believer, when we're in the presence of Christ, what we're going to experience is what is called the judgment seat of Christ. This is where believers will receive rewards for what they did with what they had. Once you know, you're accountable for it. And so you've been saved by grace through faith. Yes, it is the gift of God. It's not by our actions. So no man can boast. That's the gift of God. It's the grace of God. But now something else happens when we stand before God because you're accountable for what you say and what you do and the motives with which you do it. Don't take my word for it. Turn in your Bibles over to 1 Corinthians 3. 1 Corinthians 3. And we'll start reading at verse 9. Where Scripture reads, For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field. You are God's building. According to the grace of God, which was given to me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation and another builds on it. But let each one take heed how he builds. That's the key. Let each one take heed how he builds on it, for no other foundation can anyone lay except that which is laid in Christ Jesus. Now, if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, for each one's work will become clear. For the day will declare it, because it will be revealed by fire. And the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. If anyone's work which he has built on it endures, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned, listen to this, because this is not something that we focus on in the church a whole lot. Listen to this next, what it says here. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss. But he himself will be saved. Yet as through fire, Stop right there. You see, what's going to happen is this. Is that when we stand before Christ, you who have been saved, you're not going to be judged for your sin that was taken care of on the cross. Your sins have been separated as far as the east is from the west, according to Psalm 103. And according to Micah 7.19, your have been all time. Now, when we sin on this earth, we still have to confess for our sins. Otherwise, what's going to happen is we're not going to it's not going to change the way that God loves us, but it may change the way that we experience God's love. So that's on this earth, but when we stand before God in heaven, the curse is removed, the price has been paid, yet at the same time there will be accountability for what we did with what we had. For me, sometimes this is utterly frightening, and I'll tell you why. The Bible says not many of you should claim to be teachers, for you know that we shall be judged more strictly. For the way you led worship, for the way you spoke to your neighbor, for the times you didn't speak to your neighbor, for the father you were to your children, for the mother you were to your children, These are the things that we will be accountable for and rewarded for. And the rewards, what will happen is this, is that they'll be judged by fire. A great illustration was given like this to help us understand. We can illustrate the loss of reward in the following manner. Let us say you have recently built a new two-story house While on the second floor, you smell smoke. Looking downstairs, you see that the first floor is on fire. You jump out of the second story window to save your life. You then watch your new house burn to the ground. Obviously, you will have mixed emotions. You're thankful that you were able to jump and save your life, but you're sad because your new house is destroyed. This is similar to those believers who are saved but have nothing to show for it. They squandered their opportunities to live for Christ, to love their neighbor, yet they are enjoying the benefits of heaven with Jesus. Listen, the judgments will consist on rewards for faithful service and our motives will be measured by God in that moment. But listen... You'll be looking at this, because you look and you say, well, how could it be heaven? If I'm sitting there saying, oh, I got that wrong, I did this, I did this, I did this. You're going to be looking at things through righteous eyes. For the Bible says this in Romans 8, 1, for there is there, for now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. And so there will be rewards on faithful service. And that is something that we will um, again be held accountable for and that kind of answers the question to a lot of believers that struggle with saying well listen you know, can I be saved and just go do whatever I want well if you just do that then to me you don't necessarily understand what was done on the cross All right. well I'll just go out and I'll, I'll kill someone or I'll rob someone or I'll do this and I'll do that and I'll just pray for forgiveness when I'm done then you don't understand the price that's paid However, that being said, this judgment seat of Christ, that's what's going to happen for the believers. And listen, even at that time, because we're looking at things through righteous eyes, we're not going to sit there saying, oh man, I got so gypped and he isn't fair. No, he's a just judge. He's a just judge and nobody will sit up there saying, I don't like what he did there. How many of you have ever gotten treated by a boss at work and I don't like what the boss said there, I don't like what the boss did there, and I'm going to go to complain to H.R.? How attentive was H.R. when you went? Um, okay, so, so, that's, so that is the judgment seat of Christ. At that same time, there's going to be seven years of tribulation. It'll be a time of chaos. You can imagine it like we said last week. Once surgeons disappear from their tables or the surgeon is operating, their patient disappears, men, women, and children, what do they have in common? The children were too young to make a decision, or maybe it was somebody that was special needs, and they didn't have the ability, and the people that have confessed Christ as their Lord and believed in their heart that God the Father raised him from the dead, they will be gone. They'll be gone. And you can imagine when that happens what kind of chaos that is going to throw this World into that again ushers in the need for Antichrist. Now, the seven years people are saying, Well, how do you know the seven years? And we took we talked a little bit in Daniel last week, but uh, I think that we really kind of need to go back there. If you indulge me for a couple of minutes, because I want to make sure we're clear. If Daniel 9, so Daniel 9, turn to it. If Daniel 9 is called the backbone of prophecy, I want to make sure it's clear in our explanation. So head over in your Bibles to Daniel 9. Alright, and Daniel 9, it's important for you to realize that Daniel was raised in captivity. Basically, he was brought over young into captivity when the children of Israel were conquered by the king of Babylon. Now, there were successive regimes that came in. So you had the king of Babylon, but then the king of Babylon was Conquered by the Medo-Persian king. And so Daniel, all he's known as captivity. Living under such circumstance, you could think that maybe Daniel would say, my God seems so big, so strong, and, and so... ...something my God cannot do. But when you're raised in captivity, well, where is he? And so Daniel's been raised into captivity, but Daniel's been faithful the whole way. You ever think about that for a second? Why, when you look at the life of Daniel, he's one of the characters that the Bible really doesn't talk about his sin a whole lot? You ever seen that? When you you look look at Daniel, you look at Joseph, why, when we see them depicted in Scripture, it doesn't say that they're sinless, but why are they depicted without sin? They are are sinners, but why are they depicted without sin? Because just like Joseph in chapters 37 and 50 through Genesis is a type of Christ, so too Daniel is a type of Christ born into captivity, raised into captivity basically, just as Jesus came to mankind. He came into a foreign land. And in the same way, it says that Daniel in Daniel 1 was a lamb without blemish. And for three years, all the young lambs without blemish were educated in Nebuchadnezzar University. But Nebuchadnezzar's ways for three years... And so when you look at Daniel and you can just parallels through the life of Daniel that make you think, well, there's Daniel, there's the church, and there's all these things. But now, here we find Daniel in chapter 9, and it says now, verse 1, In the first year of Daniel, Son of Ahasuerus, the lineage of the Medes, who was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood by the books the numbers of the years specified by the word of the Lord through Jeremiah the prophet that he would accomplish 70 years in desolations of Jerusalem. Stop right there. So in a time of confusion, in a time of captivity, where does Daniel find his answers? The word, just like we're supposed to. These are simple applications that you can find when you look at scripture and you say, "Well, what did Daniel do when he was in chaos?" Well, here's what he did. He went to the word. What did the word drive him to do? The word drove him to prayer. What should the word drive us to do? Pray. In a time of chaos, and how do we get clarity? And that's exactly what happens. Here Daniel is confessing the sins of his people. He's praying, "Okay, God, I read the this is your promise. This is how we should be praying, hint, hint, hint. All right, I read the scripture, this is your promise that you're gonna come and you're gonna relieve the captives after seventy years. Skip down to verse 20. We'll skip through his prayer per se. But verse 20 reads like this: Now, while I was speaking and praying and confessing my sin, and the sin of my people Israel, and presenting my supplication before the Lord my God, for the holy mountain of my God. Yes, while I was speaking in prayer, the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision at the beginning, being caused to fly swiftly, reached me about the time of the evening offering. And he informed me, and talked with me, and said, "Oh, Daniel... I have now come forth to give you skill to understand. At the beginning of your supplications, the command went out, and I have come to tell you, for you are greatly beloved, therefore consider the matter and understand the vision. Stop right there before we get into the vision. Have you ever stopped to think of what happened when you pray? There's something happening in the heavenlies when you're praying. Alright, so first of all, we see the power of the Word in prayer, but then there's something that's happening in the heavenly realm when you're praying, and what happens is that God, gives, God sends Gabriel to give a vision and to give understanding through your chaos, through your captivity. There it is, right in the Word. But now, again, the backbone of prophecy starts here in Daniel. and if there was any confusion last week, my prayer is this: We're going to make this, as they say, crystal this week, Lord willing. Did I get that phrase right, crystal? Did did do that? Millennials, yes or no? Millennials. You don't use that. You don't use that. Okay. Wow. Young adults study. I have been cast out and exiled. Please go to Daniel 9:24 for your people to the transgressions, to make an end of sins, to make reconciliation for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy. Stop right there. It says 70 weeks. In the original language, it would be better to say 77. Seven units of seven, and this is where some of the confusion came in last week, and we want to make sure we alleviate it this week. Think of it simply like this. Seventy periods of seven years. We get this because of the way the history played out, and because of the original language. So, 70 periods of 70 years. In other words, what you have to know about this one verse is that in 490 years... A prophecy to Israel, for Israel, things are going to be made right with Israel. That's what you have to understand about that verse. After that 490 years, uh, over those 70 weeks, those 70 periods of 7 years, everything is going to be made right with the children of Israel. That's what you need to know. Full, true reconciliation. Just like we talked about that verse with Peter uh, and Jesus. Jesus said, Peter, how many times? Uh, Peter said, Jesus, how many times should we forgive somebody that sins against the seven? He says, no, 70 times seven. 490. It's a perfect forgiveness. Perfect. And so that's what's going to happen. That's all you need to know about verse 24, is that after 70 weeks, 70 periods of seven years, 490 years, everything is going to be made right with Israel. Is that clear? Good, let's move on. Alright, so now it says in verse 25, Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the command to restore and build Jerusalem until Messiah prints, there shall be seven weeks. Seven weeks? Seven periods of seven? 49 years. Okay, here's what you need to know. When does the clock start on this prophecy? When does the 490 years start on this prophecy? That 490 years starts from the moment that the children of Israel are given the command to rebuild Jerusalem. But how can we know that, Pastor? I'm glad you asked. You're so full of good questions today. In Nehemiah 2, in Nehemiah 2, Nehemiah is told, he's given a command... And I want to read this for you just, just so you can see what I'm talking about, all right? So you don't have to necessarily turn there, but uh, I'll turn there. Um, it's Nehemiah 2. And I should have had this marked out, but uh, I didn't anticipate going there, but uh, I just kind of... And it says this, And it came to pass in the month of Nisan in the twentieth year of King Artaxerxes, You ever notice how there are some places where the Bible gets a little bit more specific than others on a certain time period? This is the moment where Nehemiah is standing before the king go rebuild the wall. And that we believe because of what is said there, because of the month it's given and the year March 445 BC. March 445 BC, and that's when the prophetic clock starts. So from that time, that first period of seven. Seven periods of seven years, that's 49 years, that's when the clock starts, right there. And we have that piece of information because God, in his inspired, inerrant, infallible word, gave it to us. So you could know, so you could understand where the clock starts. But it also says this. It's the other part of verse 25. There shall be seven weeks and 62 weeks. I know it gets a little challenging here, but stay with me. Seven weeks, that's the first period that is talked about. Seven periods of seven years. That's 49 years. But then there's going to be another 62 weeks. 62 periods of seven years, which is another 434 years. And that brings us, we talked about it last week, right around the time that is considered to be after leap years and prophetic calendars and everything is figured out. Uh, It's believed that that is somewhere between A.D. 30 and and 33, when Jesus the Messiah was cut off. And that's the prophecy that we're given. Is this more specific? Is this a little bit easier to understand, I hope, than last week? All right. Because at that time, it says, there shall be seven weeks and 62 weeks The street shall be built again, and the wall, even in troublesome times, and after the 62 weeks, Messiah shall be cut off. What does it mean that the Messiah is going to get cut off? Exactly what we see happen with Messiah Jesus. He's cut off for himself. And the people of the prince who has come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary, and the end of it shall be with a flood until the end of the war. The desolations are determined. So we see seven weeks, then the 62 weeks, and that's what we talked about last week. Where is that cutoff between week 69 and week 70? Where's the 70th week? Did it just disappear? No. Here's what happened. Because it was a prophecy to Israel, for Israel, once Israel crucified their Messiah, it was like they hit the prophetic pause button. Let me help you understand this. They hit the prophetic pause button. It's kind of like what the children of Israel did when they were wandering in the wilderness. Or wildering in the wanderness, however you want to say it. When the children of Israel were wandering in the wilderness, what happened? They disobeyed God. When they disobeyed God, what happened? They were prevented from fulfilling the destiny that God had for them for 40 years. Now, in the same way, what happened is this, is that when they crucified Messiah, the clock stops. And between weeks 69 and 70, what you have is this thing called the church age. The church age was a mystery. It was not revealed to them, but it was revealed to the New Testament church through Scripture. Let me explain. Colossians 1, 26-27. This is the Apostle Paul. He says, that is the mystery which has been hidden from past ages, generations, but has now been made known manifest to his saints, to whom God willed to make it known what is the riches of glory of the mystery among the Gentiles, which is You guys, which is Christ, the hope of glory. It's His church. The mystery was revealed to Paul. Why reveal it to Paul? Why not one of the other writers? Why not Peter? Why not John? Why not Luke? Here's why. Paul was the anomaly. Paul was the ones that wasn't originally chosen, and yet, well, you're going to pick Paul? You're really going to do that? To minister to the Gentiles? And what a great person to minister to, to say, wow, you're going to minister through this thing called the church? That's the mystery. You're soaking in it. You are the mystery. You're living in it. It's the church age. But here's what happens. After the rapture, the prophetic pause button is stopped and he hits play again. And that's when the seven years of tribulation start. And that's when 480 to 490 will be accomplished in that seven years. Again, the seven years is going to be hell on earth. We read a little bit from Second Thessalonians 7 last week regarding this. But it also says in the book of Daniel, it says, uh, verse 27, it says, Then he shall confirm a covenant with many for one week. But in the middle of the week, in the middle of the seven years, in the middle of the week, He shall bring an end to sacrifice and offering, and on the wings of abominations shall be one who makes desolate, even until the consummation which is determined is poured out on the desolate. Stop right there. What you have is a a three-and-a-half-year period that's referred to in Revelation 11 through 13 several times as a 1260-day period or a 42-month period, and a lot is going to happen during that time. That will be the things that we've come to know as and the two witnesses and the saving of 144,000 from the tribes of Israel. This is really, really important because this is going to be the time in Mark 13 where people are going to be running for the hills. They're going to be running from the hills, and if by chance it's winter, oh, you hope that it's not winter, you hope that your loved ones aren't pregnant, it's going to be hell on earth at that time, because the uh, at that time the Antichrist will have accomplished the abomination of desolation. Now Mark describes it well, uh, but for us to further understand, what I'm going to ask you to do is to leave Daniel and to go over to Revelation chapter 13, where you're going to see the rise of what the Bible says is called the unholy trinity. Remember one thing, that Satan not only wants to destroy every good work of God, so if you are one of those that's here today and you feel every time I try to get close to God's will, it feels like the carpet is pulled out from under me. If that's you or if that's ever been you, understand that he wants to destroy every good work of God, but he also wants to mimic God. And just like we have in Christianity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, what you're going to see In Revelation 13, you're going to see a beast arise from the sea. That's the Antichrist. You're going to see a dragon. That's the devil. You're going to see a beast arise from the earth, and that's the false prophet. Each one has their counterpart in what we understand as the Trinity. So Revelation 13 reads like this. Then I stood on the sand of the sea, and I saw a beast rising up out of the sea having seven heads and ten horns, and on his horns ten crowns, and on his heads a blasphemous name. Now the beast, which I saw, was like a leopard. His feet were like the feet of a bear, and his mouth like that of a lion. The dragon gave him power, his throne, and his great authority. Stop right there. Okay, so you have a dragon and a beast coming out of the sea. The dragon is Satan giving his authority to his Antichrist. But listen to this. It says, the beast which I saw was like a leopard, his feet were like the feet of a bear, and his mouth was like the mouth of a lion. Why is it described like this? Well, if you look to Daniel 7, what you'll see is this, and we're not going to turn there now for time's sake. In Daniel 7, the leopard symbolizes Greece, which is one of the conquerors of Israel. The bear represents Medo-Persia. The lion represents Babylon. This is said explicitly in the book of Daniel. And it's believed that all of these are meant to point to the emergence of one beast from one place that will be the consummation in conquering in power and in greed, and that will be known as the Antichrist. Verse 3 says this of chapter 13, And I saw one of his heads as if it had been mortally wounded, and his deadly wound was healed, and all the world marveled and followed the beast. So there's believed that there's going to be an assassination attempt on this world leader's life, on this Antichrist's life, that the that uh, that there's going to be a healing and that the world is going to say, wow, we've never seen anything like this. So they worshipped the dragon who gave authority to the beast and they worshipped the beast saying, oh, who is like the beast who is able to make war with him? And he was given a mouth speaking great things and blasphemies and he was given authority to continue for 42 months, three and a half years. Then he opened his mouth in blasphemy against God to blaspheme his name, his tabernacle, and those who dwell in heaven. It was granted to him to make war with the saints and to overcome them. And authority was given to him. Listen to this. Listen to the verbiage of this. And authority was given to him over every tribe, tongue, nation. You see that? Significant. Why? Because Jesus, when he came back in Matthew twenty-eight, eighteen, said, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go ye therefore make disciples of every tribe, every tongue, every nation. With full authority, that's what Jesus wanted. Now this authority transfers because the Holy Spirit is gone, the church is gone, and all you have left is the beast ruling. And all who dwell on earth will worship him whose names have not been written in the book of life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. If anyone has ears, let him hear. He who leads into captivity shall go into captivity. He who kills with the sword must be killed with the sword. Here is the patience and the faith of the saints. But here's the third beast. Listen, it's verse 11. Then I saw another beast coming up out of the earth, and he had two horns like a lamb and spoke like a dragon. And do you see all that like a lamb, like this, like this? The enemy is the greatest wannabe in all of existence. Verse 12 says, And he exercises all authority of the first beast in his presence and causes the earth and those who dwell in it to worship the first beast whose deadly wound was healed. Listen to this. The third beast is the false prophet. He's kind of like the counterpart to our Holy Spirit. All right? And so if, you, if you're catching this, what you have is the dragon who is Satan and the first beast points to the dragon and the second beast towards, points towards the Antichrist. Just kind of like the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Now again, just as Jesus was raised when he was raised, the role of the Holy Spirit, so too, the false prophet here, it says that his deadly wound was healed by this beast. He performs great signs so that even makes fire come down from heaven and on earth in the sight of men. And He deceives those who dwell on the earth by those signs which He was granted to do in the sight of the beast, telling those who dwell on the earth to make an image of the beast who was wounded by the sword and lived. He was granted power to give breath to the image of the beast and the image of the beast should both as many as would not worship the image of the beast to be killed. He causes all, both great, small, poor, rich, free, slave, to receive a mark on their right hand or on their foreheads that one, that no one may buy or sell except one who has the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. Here is wisdom. Let him who has understanding calculate the number of the beast for its number is the number of a man? His number is 666. Six, six. Stop there. I'm getting asked all the time Pastor, what is the mark of the beast? What does it look like today? Is it the computer chips that they're putting in people? Is it a mark that they're going to have on someone? What does this mark of the beast look like? I don't know. (laughs) See you next week. No, I don't know. But here's what we do one, you're not going to be here for it. So people that are worried and they're saying, well, you know what? Uh, They want to put a computer chip in my dog. And I'm not sure if I'm going to be like putting my dog up to the end. No. No. That's not it. Listen, you're going to be gone, Lord willing, when the Antichrist comes. And this is going to be something distinctly given where people have a choice to make. Listen, you take the mark of the beast, you don't. Alright, it's not going to be... okay. So, So here's what we have today. We have technology that we could definitely see how this could be possible. These computer chips, absolutely. You could scan them. They have somebody's name, date of birth, their blood type, uh, every uh, sin that they've ever created, everything that they've ever done wrong. But listen, you can go on. You can Google that, can't you? <laughs> can't you? I mean, you can Google some of this stuff, and you can get you can get a lot of dirt on people. So we have all that information at our disposal, and all we see what's happening is that all of the things that you see that are happening in creation with technology being what it is... Listen, you carry your cell phone with you. Somebody could hear a conversation. They know where you're at. Right? So we have all this technology... Is that what's going to happen during this time, during the time of the tribulation, is that this technology is going to be used to separate those that are going to worship the beast and those that will not. And those that do not worship the beast, they will be excluded from buying, selling, eating, uh, shelter over their head unless they respond to this one world religion put forth by the beast. Is that clear enough? Because there's a lot of it that I know that isn't clear. How exactly it's going to happen, we don't necessarily know. But we also know this, is that at this time, there are going to be two witnesses that arise in Revelation 11, and these two witnesses, you're going to say, Pastor John, who are they? The Bible doesn't tell us who they are. Who are they, Pastor John? Is it Enoch and Elijah? Is it Elijah and Moses? Can I be very honest with you? I don't know. Thank you. All right, good. Yeah, I don't know because the Bible doesn't tell us. So obviously the Bible says it's not something they need to know. The Bible tells us what we need to know. It doesn't tell us everything there is to know. Why? Because you couldn't handle it neither could I. Right? So we don't need to know. All we need to know is that During this time, people will be ministered to. The Gospel will be shared with people. There will be hope given. And we even know that among the children of Israel, a great revival, uh, according to Revelation 7, there will be 144,000. Sorry, Jehovah Witness, that's not who it's talking about. It's very clear in Scripture. Because the tribes are named. The tribes are named in Scripture. So there's 144,000 that are going to be saved during that time. We also believe for other Scriptures that there will be more saved, even Gentiles saved during that time of tribulation. But do you really want to wait for that? Wouldn't you rather kind of be raptured? I know I would kind of rather be raptured. Now, I know we've covered a lot of ground today. But I want to close by challenging you in this way. Just like there are two witnesses that will arise during this time, there's a lot of witnesses right now that just aren't telling people. Right? And if the judgment seat of Christ for the believer is what we're going to be held accountable for, is it possible... How many of you have ever had an evaluation at work? And what do they do? They evaluate your attendance. They evaluate your punctuality. God helps some of us. They evaluate your, as you as a team player. They evaluate your competence. They're going to evaluate you like that. Now, as Christians, how are we going to be evaluated? You were called to do that. You were called to do that. That's part of your eval. Okay? You were called to um, disciple people. Take them under your wing. Tell them about who Jesus is. Teach them the whole counsel of God. That's something that you'll be held accountable for, for worship for things. And if you see, when we talk about worship and prayer and evangelism and outreach and all of these things that are so incredibly important to God that are sometimes an afterthought to us, and that's what we're going to be evaluated. afterthoughts that maybe what we need to do while we can still hear the message is flip the script and start prioritizing those things. And then, then maybe we would be in good shape if we were to end up just like that. See what we did now? <laughs> okay, it was terrible. I'll never do that again. That's my daughter's dress. Nobody was raptured and you didn't miss anything. All right. Um, lastly, 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 lastly. Um. I've been thinking a lot this week about the people that we need to tell. And let me ask you, I mean, have you had people in your life that you just thought, you know, too far gone? You even stopped praying for them. Maybe you never prayed for them in the first place. Maybe people that you saw in the news and you looked at and you just wrote this person off and you said, this person is pure evil. I'm going to be 100% honest with you. As I've been watching all this controversy, and we talked about it a little bit last week, among the people least likely to be saved in my poor, sinful estimation was Kanye West. And I'm going to be honest with you, as much as I heard him talk about himself being God and all the garbage that he talked and the music that I I disdained, I'm going to be really honest with you. I never once prayed for the man. You know why? Because I elevated myself. It's the people that we elevate ourselves above. Chances are, what is the person we're called to be praying for? Where's the application? Here it is, gang. He's coming. We're going to be judged for what we did with what we had. We're also going to be judged for the thoughts and motives of our heart. Take it seriously. Take it to the bank. It's God's Word. Now next week, we're going to talk about the greatest battle that the world has ever seen, the greatest victory that the world will ever know, the greatest kingdom, the world has ever... the greatest judgment, and the greatest ending, which for us is really a new beginning. Let's pray. Father in Heaven, we thank You again. And Father, as we continue to look at Your Word, there's just so much in here, Father. So much. So much even I look at and I just scratch my head and I I don't sometimes understand that, God. But I thank you, Father, that in this place today we can come, we can open up our Bibles and, and somehow your Holy Spirit makes sense of it all to us. But please, God, don't let us get complacent. Please, Father, let us take every moment that you grant us with seriously. Thank you. In Jesus' name. Amen.